In the coming of Jesus, we welcome a royal birth. Through a royal lineage, a royal announcement, a royal naming, and a royal visit from the Magi, we discover the power and the beauty of the birth of Jesus. Join us as we journey to discover the depth of Christmas. Well, good day to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors here. Um, let me just go ahead and say Merry Christmas. Um, it feels weird to say, doesn't it? Merry Christmas to you. And um, we're diving in this year primarily looking at the Gospel of Matthew. For some of you may go, oh, that sounds a little weird. Luke has the most detailed version in many regards, um, but Matthew is equally important. So we're looking at Matthew, a royal announcement, a royal lineage, a royal naming, um, a royal visit from the Magi on Christmas Eve, and what that really means for our life. So that's what we get to dive into this year. So can I invite you, uh, whether you have uh, the Bible right in front of you, or maybe it's on your phone, whatever it is, open up the Word of God. I want you to follow along with me. We're going to be hitting one of the coolest passages ever today, Matthew 1, 1 through 17, the genealogy. I know you're, you're excited. Who's excited? Yeah, keep going because I need some help. <laughs> um, no, it is. It's amazing. And, um, you know, a lot of times I think we avoid the genealogy of Jesus just because we don't want to have to pronounce all the names. Amen? Is it Tamar? No, it's Tamar. Everybody say Tamar. Right? It's that kind of thing. Jehoiakim. Like, right? Like, we don't name people like that. And now we get Chuck. And so, like, it's just a lot easier to say. Um, and, I mean, it took me, I've lived here for 10 years. It took me nine and a half years to figure out Dutch names. Um, I'm still in process even. So it's just one of those things. And you got this genealogy. But hopefully today, you're going to hear the genealogy of Jesus. And you're going to see the incredible importance and value that it adds to your life. When you understand the importance of the genealogy of Jesus, it will change your life. It'll change your life. So that's what we get to dive in today, uh, into today because here's Matthew. Sometimes we can even be a little confused on the gospel of Matthew uh, and, and what he's doing because Matthew is not, it is not written chronologically. Now you have four gospels. What are they? Right? So you have those four Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, the first one that we have uh, here in the New Testament, chronologically, I'm going to argue Mark was written before Matthew, but that's another whole issue. Um, but here you have the Gospel of Matthew, and it's not written chronologically. He's writing to make a point. And he's not trying to include every detail. Rather, he's, he's writing, including specific stories for a very specific purpose. This is all very important to, to allow the text to have the significance and the meaning that it needs to have for us today. And the purpose is to show that Jesus Christ is a legitimate king and Messiah. Why? Here's Matthew. Matthew was a Jew. Everybody say Matthew was a Jew. But he was also an agent of Rome which is a problem. He was a tax collector. So here's this guy who now is seen as being um, a, a traitor in some regards in terms of understanding who the Jewish people are. So he's going to write to primarily, not only, but he's writing primarily to Jewish people to show that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus has the right to the throne of David as Israel's true king. 
that he's the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Now, those are already two names that you're going to have to understand. When you look at the genealogy, the two most important names by far, Abraham, David. Everybody say Abraham, Abraham. David. Those are the two most important names that you have to know. If people look at you and go, well, how do you know he really is the king of the Jews and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so it always goes back to Abraham, always goes back to David. Every single time. So he's going to tie all of this together. And it, it shows the picture of the power of the truth of the word of God. Because we know that scripture, 100% of this is true and accurate. The Old Testament and the New Testament weave together perfectly. 100%. That's why it, it, it grieves me so many pastors out there today who only preach the gospels, only preach one part of the Bible because what they're doing is they're removing the value and the power of all of it working together. So we look at Matthew writing this gospel about the birth of Jesus Christ with the genealogy, and we're going to learn the depth of what it really means. The gospel of Matthew is really five different discourses. Um, like, I would do anything. Like, right now, what would excite me more than anything is just keep all of us here, forget the other services, they can go home, and we would just spend all day in the Gospel of Matthew. Because really, it is, the Gospel of Matthew is a discipleship course. It's five different discourses or five different sections of teaching for people to know what it is to follow Christ as Messiah. It's a discipleship manual in many regards. The Gospel of Matthew is a discipleship manual. The one that does that best outside of Matthew, I would say, is the Gospel of Luke, cost of discipleship in Luke chapter 14. And then, of course, uh, we go into Luke chapter 15 with the parable of the lost son that we just got through preaching and the significance of that. But the Gospel of Matthew is a discipleship manual, five different discourses revealing who Jesus is. It's not chronological, but it is very logical. And he's grouping things together somewhat in topics. So here's this Jew, an agent of Rome, hated, and now he's writing to Jews. And the irony is that the Jews hate him. But here's the irony is that he actually quotes the Old Testament more than any of the gospel. He quotes the Old Testament at least 50 different times directly. And another 25 to 30 times he references the Old Testament indirectly. So here is a Jew who is an agent of Rome who the Jews hate. But now he's writing primarily to Jews to say, hey, no, no, you have to understand that he is of the lineage of Abraham and David. And you'll learn more why that's so important and so crucial for us. But if you understand the genealogy of Jesus and the validity of who he is as the Messiah, it'll wake up your senses, it'll wake up your heart, it'll wake up all of you, and you will then live differently and give your life to the service of the King of Kings. Christmas will have a different view on your life. And so he's going to, he just makes a bunch of Jesus as Messiah. He makes a lot of it. Now, he does assume that the, the reader that he is writing to, that they have a certain knowledge, and they would have had a certain knowledge of everything he's already writing. He's going to break this up into th three primary different sections. He's going to tackle 14 generations. You're going to see that in verse 16 and 17. Um, now, that's not every generation. I'm not going to get into this because the number matters a lot and why it's 14 generations, but I think it'll lead us down a rabbit hole that we may never come out of. But it's significant to see. The genealogies are also important because even in the, New, in the Old Testament, it communicated a lot of information to the, the reader. 
right? We always want to make a lot about, you know, like my last name is Van Wayne. And <laughs> Wayne literally means wagon maker. I have no clue how to make a wagon. I have no clue. I can help you build a wall in a house, but when it comes to fixing any kind of vehicle, I'm like, I'm just out of luck. I can't do it. Like, I just didn't, I never grew up going, hey, let's go. You know what? It's a Saturday. Let's just go fix a car all day. I think it's amazing. I wish I could do it. I can't. My name actually means wagon maker. And before and, and generations ago, if, I was, if that's the name that's, it was given to you because that's partly of what you did, and I, I have no clue. That history matters, though, more than it does today. And this genealogy, these generations of Jewish history, it mattered so much. And the genealogies also traced not only family trees of being a wagon maker or whatever it is that you are, but they also help us follow both priestly and royal lines. So that's what they ended up doing. The two key people, though, as you already know, David and Abraham. In fact, this is how Matthew chapter 1 begins. It says, the book of genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So I want to read this again. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of both? Really? Ooh, why? You'll learn. The lineage of Jesus is to help us understand his past, but also identify his identity and his purpose. His identity and his purpose. That's what we're going to see. As it continues on this passage, it even calls out by saying um, Abraham. It says the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers and uh, Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram and Ram, the father of Amimadab and Amimadab, the father of Simon and Simon, the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David, the king. I'm going to ask that you all stand and read that together. I'm, You're welcome. That was my Christmas gift to you. It all matters. It matters more. Like sometimes I think we wanted to get through it, but it matters so much because by calling right away, I just want to tackle the son of Abraham. By calling Jesus the son of Abraham, the author is connecting Jesus to the father of the people of Israel. Remember the Jewish people, what do they go by? The Torah, the Torah, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Those are the first five books of the Bible. And that's really the law of Moses. It's the Pentateuch. That's what they would go by. And now Matthew, who is a Jew who's been rejected by the Jews because of his considered being a traitor, an agent of Rome, is now writing to them and tying Jesus to the son of Abraham. This matters. Abraham represents the moment when God selected and separated his people from the rest of the nations all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis, in a moment, I'll even read Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 to help make that point for you. In fact, let me just go ahead and jump into it. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is significant. So he calls out Abraham 
tying Jesus to the father of Israel, the chosen people of God. And then it says, Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, friends, if you don't know, Isaac was a miracle baby. Isaac was the child of Abram or Abraham there and Sarah. Sarah was how old when she gave birth to this child? Almost 100. Really? I'm not 100, but if you tell me today, you want to have a kid, the answer is what? You didn't have to answer that for me. I thought that was a little aggressive. Um, no. So here's Isaac, a miracle baby, born to a mother, shocked to find out that she was pregnant. You don't think that Jesus, born to Mary, that she was shocked, virgin birth, when that angel appears to her and says, guess what, you're going to have a baby. Right? The connectivity here is so incredibly important. Right? The more you understand the beauty and the promises of God being fulfilled through his son, Jesus Christ, over the course of thousands of years, and all of these generations connecting one to another, the more you go, wait, he is the king of kings. I will obey him. I will serve him. He's not a nice token to make sure that we put a star on the top of a tree. He is a king to be adored. You see the difference when you understand and accept and receive the significance of the weaving in and the tying of the power of the word of God. It'll wreck your world. The stage is being set. And he used all types of people. The first woman, Tamar here, or Tamar, um, here in this passage that he is connecting to, Tamar was a prostitute with her father-in-law. Like, I'm not going to go into all these different names, but you're going to learn about the significance of even who God uses. And I'll also say, guys, the, Matthew is write, writing primarily to what people? Jewish. So they know orally all these stories. Every day they're being told these stories over and over and over again. And so these stories are deep in them. And so that means that every single time Matthew throws out a name, there's an emotion connected with that name. Many of these people who are mentioned in the genealogy and the connectivity of Jesus Christ led to the destruction of Israel during different times of history. So that brought out an emotion. They would know these stories better than anything else in their life. And they had an emotion tied to it, right? Do you ever have an emotional reaction to something? Did Michigan play football yesterday? Did they win? I don't even know. Okay. You played a high school. No offense. Like you played Iowa. Okay. I, I'm meaning to do this right now. I want to do this. Georgia played. I went to Georgia. We lost by three and we, a better team beat us yesterday. That's just all there is to it. I really, I'm doing this on purpose, but I don't care. Literally during the game, my wife was like, hey, you want to go downtown together? I was like, me and you go somewhere? She's like, yeah. I'm like, let's go. We left her in the middle of the game. Don't care. So I look at this though. And the reason I mention it is because there are some things that we can mention in life that really make us emotional. Right? Michigan football would be one of them. I'm praying like right now that Michigan State has a football team next year. And like I'm saying that on purpose too, because I, I want you to go, oh, I can't believe he just said that. Because that emotion that you might have is nothing compared to the emotions that they would have had when they read this. 
when they heard these names, they would go, like, what? There was this, because there was, they knew the depth of the story for every single name that's affiliated now with Jesus. And he's saying, wait, Jesus is affiliating himself with these people who many of them led to the destruction of the people of God. And so now there's this like, oh, I can't believe he just said that. How dare he make fun of Michigan Wolverines? Sir, like, I want, I want you to have that. I want you to have that because here in this passage, we see it and the stage is being set. And right away, we see this with Abraham, the father of Isaac. Now I can go into Boaz and to Rahab and all these different amazing stories. We don't have time for all that, but you need to know the power and the significance of him tying this to Abraham because that's the covenant of Abraham. We always talk, talk about the covenant of Abraham in, in terms of being land, seed, and blessing. The land that he promised, the, the, the fact that he would be a seed for many to come and the blessing that they would receive as well. I just read it in Genesis chapter 12, one through three. It's so significant and so powerful for us. This, my, my concern is so often because it's a story that we tell on an annual basis, it's become a story rather than try a truth to be lived by. Not only does he tie it to Abraham, but he ties it to the, then to David, which is tying it to royalty. 7 through 11, Ma Matthew refers to Jesus being the son of David 10 different times. Like, why does that matter? Like, if you're referring to somebody 10 different times in a particular way, why? That, that, that's a lot. That seems aggressive. But he's referring to him as son of David 10 different times in his writing. Abraham's, here's a simple way, simplest way I can describe it. Abraham's name tied Jesus to the people of Israel. He's writing to a Jewish audience, remember? David's name tells us that Jesus was royalty. That's why these names matter so much. It's like, oh, he is tied to the people of Israel. Oh, he is one of royalty. Wow. He was going to establish Jesus as a royal successor, a rightful heir to the throne of David. And he goes deep into this not only with Uriah and Solomon, but even later on with Solomon, we learn so much about who he really is and what, what Matthew is speaking of when it comes to Jesus Christ and the lineage here. He traces the family, the family lineage all the way from Solomon to Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, same individual here. I preached on him about a month or so ago, a month and a half ago. That's important. Let me tell you why. I just want to call out, I'm just calling out a couple of these so that you can learn. In verse 11, Josiah, we know that was a great king, but then it says Jehoiakim was the third. We know that he was the third to the last king and he was evil. It says that God cursed his bloodline, said that there would never be a man that sits from the throne of David again from him. Now that's going to present a problem for us. If you go back, another passage you can go and look at later on, Jeremiah 3630. That's going to present a problem for us knowing, wait, why is he tying Jesus to a lineage in which was cursed and God said, I'll never bless? Well, you got to remember, we're talking about a bloodline as well. One ties us to Israel, one ties Jesus to the royalty of who he really is. But his, his bloodline, this is Joseph, is tied to Mary. Remember virgin birth. 
You see where I'm going there? I also want us to be a church that when we hear this kind of thing, you get excited. Because too many churches dive into the power of the truth of the reality of Scripture, and they get they, 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 this glaze over. And they go, just tell me how much Jesus loves me and how cool I am. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you about how awesome God is and how cool he is. Don't glaze over. Jesus is from the genealogy of Mary in terms of the bloodline. There's no curse on the bloodline of David. Mary comes from David. The tie to Joseph gives legal standing. The genealogy through Mary provides the bloodline through David. So he ties into this. He goes even into, it speaks in verse 12 about the deportation to Babylon. We know that there is a couple of different primary Babylon, uh, Babylonian exiles, and it speaks about that as well. And then he dives in and he says, hey, listen to this. Make sure you get it. It says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, verse 16 and 17. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, not his last name. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the, to, to the Christ, 14 generations. What's amazing about this, and, and I want to, one, you've got to understand the legitimacy of being both from Abraham and David. For Jewish people to read this, it was a, oh, wow. You, you just told me that everything all the way back to creation, Jesus is perfectly tied to. And he could prove it. Another thing that you have to walk away with is when you start reading through the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you also see a lot of people who led to their destruction at times. And that God used a lot of different people who even in their brokenness, God was able to use to fulfill his will. Say, what? These are the people? You have to understand that God can use the broken to accomplish his will. But in today's world, what I would tell you is that there are many of us who would actually reject the people that God chose to use. I think there are many of us today who are more like the Pharisees. There's three different groups of people that I think Matthew is writing to in the gospel. I'll get into that in just a moment. But one of those is the Pharisees, that religious leader. And I think many of the, the Pharisees, many of the religious leaders, many of the people even in church today who think that we have all the answers and look at us and we're going to judge everybody else rather than just love them and make sure that you point them to the word of God and the power of forgiveness and grace and truth and that we want to live according to his will because of the glory that he has deserved. And so as a result, what's happened is that we've taken on this mentality and this, this like, oh, well, look at what they just did. I think many times we would reject the people that God chose to use. You know, I, uh, I look at Tamar. I look at so many different, uh, Jehoiakim. 
That's why I, pu I pulled out these people from this list because I'm going, these are both people who did just bad things that many of us today in today's world would go, I can't believe, can you believe what they did? And we would post it all over Twitter or I don't even know what that's called now, X, Y, Z. Um, we put it all over Facebook, which is now meta or whatever it is. We'd put it everywhere. Can you believe what they, can you believe? I can't believe. And then we'd all have a comment on it. We would never ask a question, but we'd all have a comment on it. Many of us have chosen to reject the very people that God can use. God can redeem you from anything you've ever done in your life for his glory. Amen. The problem is we think that others have always done worse than that than we've done. And so we don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so we judge them while we expect God's grace. It's time that we actually start living the power and the significance of the lineage of Jesus Christ, that he is king because that very understanding that he is tied to Abraham and he is perfectly tied to the royalty of David, that understanding will change the way you see the rest of life and that God can redeem anyone from anything. And we've got to start living in this. And so the royal line through Abraham and David proves that Christ is the rightful Messiah King based on the covenants. The lineage of Jesus shows God is faithful in keeping his promises and accomplishing his plan. The question is, how are you going to trust in God with your problems and your opportunities? I just, I want to beat that drum a little bit a little bit, just give me that liberty of beating that drum a little bit of going, if you really believe that Jesus, through this lineage, through the genealogy that is painted in Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17, if you go, wait, he is tied to Abraham to being the father of Israel. He is tied to David and the royalty and the promise that, that a Messiah would come from him. If you understand that, it changes the way, what you think about when you wake up tomorrow morning. You can't just wake up and go, I'm just going to live my life for myself and not go, wait, there's a king to be worshiped. Why don't we do that? Because we don't give validity. We don't give the rightful place to the power of the word of God. Why don't we have that mentality? Because many, of, many people have today have given up on Jesus because Jesus and God isn't doing the, he's not doing things the way we would want him to. Well, this is how I would do it. Just that posture. Well, I think God should have done this. If God is real, I think God should have done it like this. And because God's not doing it the way that we would do it, we actually think less of what God has done. But we know that God can use anyone to be a part of his plan. And some of us have given up on Jesus because things haven't happened the way that we expected them to. We get just so wrapped up. And even just today, what do you have to do today so that you can have, so that you're not anxious about tomorrow and you got to get everything perfectly done. If you can't get everything perfectly done just over the next few hours, and how can you actually enjoy life? And it's because we've made so small of our life, friends. I literally, we're gonna, I'm going to snap my fingers and it's going to be like, hey, Merry Christmas. Welcome to 2029. It goes that quick. 
That's how fast life goes, but we get so enamored by the moment right now that we don't see that God can use us in a much bigger, grandiose way to give glory to God. Because here's the other reality is, and you know I get to speak about this a good bit, but you, we won't be remembered. But our life can point to Jesus who will be remembered. And the greatest ministry that we can have is simply being faithful to God. To go, wait, this is real. I need to surrender and submit to him. Jesus is tied to a bunch of people who ends up, who they all ended up in one way or another failing. But that's okay because we also learn in the New Testament, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. If you're confused and you're wandering around and you're going, is this really, is this real? Is this about Jesus? You're in the perfect place for Jesus to redeem and rescue you. Jesus' lineage helps us know how he identifies with us in our own sin. Paul wrote that God made him who had no sin to be our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. When it comes to the lineage of Jesus and the genealogy, um, maybe this is a good way to even process it. There's three different groups that I referenced before. Three primary groups. The pri- one of the primary groups, the first of those three, are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who rejected Jesus as king, denied Jesus as king. Because he didn't come. It's not because of what he did. It's because he didn't come the way they wanted him to. Where's the white horse? Sword in hand. Kick butt, take names, right? That's the first of the three primary groups that we find. The, the second are the crowds of people who followed him as long as he did what they wanted him to. I think more of us belong to this group than we know. Again, first group, the Pharisees, religious leaders, We reject Jesus as king. Maybe you're a part of that group. We're all a part of one of the three groups, by the way. Every one of us. Maybe you're a part of the group who's like, no, I I don't really buy into who Jesus Christ is. I'm here because my girlfriend or my wife or my husband or my mom, she's just happier because I finally came to church and it's going to give me a better Christmas. And you're trying to milk out some more inheritance. Maybe. I'm serious. Good for you. Good character, right? But you're a part of the Pharisees. You're like, you actually think you know better, even though it's proven, all the lineage, all the history, the second of this crowd of people who followed Jesus as long as Jesus did what they wanted. That's why they, they, they dispersed once the cross came. Dissipated. So you had the Pharisees, but then you have these crowds of people who followed Jesus as long as Jesus was giving them what they wanted. And all of a sudden, Jesus started speaking words of discipleship about, hey, follow me. Yeah, you'll need to persevere. You're going to have to have character. You're going to have to be disciplined. It's going to be hard. And if you love me, the world's going to hate you. And all of a sudden, they're going, ah, I just wanted you to heal me. Right? 
So the first group, the Pharisees, the second group are the crowds of people. And those are the ones that maybe you're like, hey, I love Jesus as long as my life is going really well. If life is hard, if the temporary is hard, and that changes your view of the eternal, you have a wrong understanding of the Messiah. Your view of the eternal changes the way you see the temporary, not the temporary changing the view of eternal. You hear me? Like we, that, that, that we got to wake up to because it's changing our understanding that Jesus is the king. We're not here to go, oh, that guy's pretty cool. I'm going to go hang out with him. He is worthy of us bowing before him every single moment of our life. And it's proven that he is tied through the history of Israel, that he is royalty at its very best, at its finest. And he is worthy of us bowing before him. But because we don't fully buy into that, we're the crowd that's following him. And as long as he does what we want, we're good. But when he stops to do what we, when he's no longer doing what we want him to do, we're like, I don't know. The other group, I told you three groups, the other group is a band of disciples who so preached Jesus Christ, they did it until they killed them. Because their understanding of the eternal shaped their understanding of what they were willing to do in the day to day. When you look and understand the significance, the power of the genealogy of Jesus, my question for you is which group are you in? Like legit, which group are you in? Some of you are waffling in between one. Bouncing back and forth. You're like that blasted ping pong ball. Ping pong ball is the hardest ball to catch, amen? And you're like that ping pong ball. You're just like, oh, I'm a disciple. Ah, but Jesus is, I'm upset with God right now because I wanted this to happen. And your understanding of God is my will rather than thy will. It doesn't matter the Lord's prayer, thy will be done. You're like, no, no, I still want my will. Which group are you in? At the end of the day, regardless of the problems, regardless of the hurts, one, know this, God can use your life to be a part of his story, making him known. Good news, amen. Oh, God can, you, you don't know what I did in the past. doesn't matter, God can use you. God can use your story. Yeah, but pastor, you don't, if you only knew, I've heard it all, it doesn't matter. God can redeem anyone from anything at any time. We know this. Walk away encouraged and empowered by that understanding. But ask yourself, which group are you in? Do you acknowledge, do you acknowledge him as king? Everybody say, my life belongs to the king. Say it again. Now say it like you're pulling from Michigan or Michigan State. Now say it like you're pulling for Georgia. You um, are all in need of grace. Our life belongs to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is of the lineage of Abraham, the father of the people of God. He is a full royalty from the line of David, born of a virgin 
so that every prophecy would come to fruition. He is Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, God with us, everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is worthy of us bowing before him. This Christmas, if you do nothing else, bow before the throne of David through Jesus Christ. Bow before him. Everybody, one more time. My life belongs to the king. God, may we recognize that you are king. May we recognize that you are king, that you are Messiah. And everything you promised has come to fruition. I pray that this genealogy, I pray that the tie to who you are with Abraham and David does nothing but stir within us a recognition of the truth of who you are because we know that the truth will set us free, that you are the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. May we understand that our life belongs to you, the King of Kings, Jehovah Jireh. Praise be to you. Amen.